This week on the Men at the Movies podcast, we take a peek inside the secret life of Walter Mitty. We discuss how God invites us to engage in life and adventure. We have to pursue the recovery of our hearts and how sometimes failure can help clarify our purpose and our identity. Join us as we discover God's truth in this movie. The movies and stories we love are gateways to see ourselves and God in new ways. Every great story borrows its power from a larger story, the story that's written on our hearts and woven into the fabric of our very being. Hello and welcome to the Men at the Movies podcast. My name's Paul McDonald, and joining me over the Zoom from across America, we've got Alan Arnold and Patrick Crean. Hey guys, how you doing? Hey Paul. Doing yeah. great. Thanks. Doing well. And Alan's joining us from out in Colorado where it's a bit it was a bit snowy this weekend. Just a bit. We had about uh, four feet of snow between Saturday night and Sunday night. And that just reminds me why I live in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> so Alan, and, and I'm going to give a little props to him because it was a podcast that he did about a year ago with the Wild at Heart group with John Eldridge talking about seeing God in the movies. And I re-listened to it late in the summer of last year. And that was one of the big motivating pieces to starting this uh, this podcast was seeing, Hey, we talk about this all the time. We want to, so how can we help guys see God in the movies? Cause say all truth is God's truth. And the, the movies we love, uh, show reveal how God designed us. And so I reached out to him probably late last year, probably, I think probably right as I was kicking this off and said, Hey, Alan, would you like to be on it? And he said, sure. And he wanted to do Walter Mitty, hmm. which before this even got to that point, Patrick had said, Hey, Paul, uh, when I really want to do Walter Mitty. So when you do Walter Mitty, I want to be on the show. So I'm going to start first with Patrick and then with Alan and say, all right, guys, why did you particularly pick this movie? Yeah. Well, Walter Mitty is just an incredible movie. Number one, it's uh, I it just res really resonated with me uh, for reasons we'll probably get into during this podcast. But you know, it's this this story of this guy who has these dreams that that never got fulfilled. You know, they seem to to be dead, and then he gets called back into it. And there's this whole idea and theme of invitation uh, through this theme through this movie that that I love just being called into something greater. Your dog wants to be on the show. <laughs> we lost him. We did. Okay. That's funny. I wasn't <laughs> expecting him to disappear. I th just thought he'd drive through it. That always happens though. Your house is totally quiet. And then you start a podcast and the dog, the kids, right. The UPS truck, like it all comes together. So my wife was like, Hey, I know you've got that podcast thing tonight. Um, it's going to be great because we're all going to be out of the house, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which, which means no one's here to take care of the dogs. So yeah, sorry about that. It's all right. You can start from the top. Why did you pick this movie? Yeah. So Walter Mitty is this great movie that just really resonates with me. And I think probably a lot of guys where they have this idea of the life that they were dreaming about these uh, plans of touring through Europe or whatever the, the dream was that Walter had, you know, and, and then they become not fulfilled because life gets in the way, you know, things, things happen and um, you know, there's problems in the family or you have to take new responsibilities or just you know, duty and obligation, whatever it is. And sometimes that can make it look like your dreams are never going to happen. And, but yet here he finds himself in this situation where he's invited into something more, something bigger. And there's this, this continual theme of invitation that follows him through the course of this movie that I just found really inspiring. And I, I love this movie. I love the cinematography. I love all the, 
the symbolism and the imagery and the music is great. You know, I just, I really love this movie and I'm really excited to talk about it. Before we even had a podcast or website or anything, Patrick said, I'm in. Hmm. So, and Alan, we were talking before because you were snowed in, you're, you're calling us from, from home, but in your office at wild at heart at the outpost, you've got a giant poster of the secret life of Walter Mitty. Right. And it it is giant. I mean, it's, it's the better part of a wall and, (laughs) and I was surprised to find it, but uh, it came in two pieces. So I had to actually kind of put it together because it was so large, but uh, it's basically Walter Mitty. There's no words. There's no title of the movie. Uh, It's him standing in the ocean on a shark (laughs) and he's holding his briefcase and he's in a suit and uh, it's just kind of looking at the camera and you just see the fin of the shark and kind of the, the top of the shark. It's not a porpoise. It's not a porpoise. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I, I love it because, you know, it just is so symbolic to me of so much of the movie and, and the way it was done is so beautiful. It's not a, movie poster with the names and the rating and, you know, a lot of clutter. It's just imagery. And um, I first saw the movie the day or the week it came out and it was on my birthday. So my family said, whatever movie you want to see. And with teenagers, usually you're seeing what they want to see. Right. So I just said, man, this looks really good. And, you know, guys, a lot of times, a movie based on a book or short story to me fails to meet the mark. It's the movie is less than in a lot of ways than the book, especially a book about a person whose head you're in like Walter Mitty. But I've got to say, I love the movie a thousand times more than the short story that it's based on. Um, And when people watch the movie, and say, I'm going to read the short story. I'm like, well, just know it's a different experience. Or if they've read the short story, I say, listen, the movie's really radically different because the movie, we can get into this later, but to me, the movie is very much about life and dreams and an awakening where the short story is much more about the quirkiness of somebody that lives in their head. And so I really love the way the movie took an idea and made it its own. Well, and and I love that phrase you just used somebody who lives in their head because I do, (laughs) as I think many creative types do, we spend a lot of time overthinking and kind of zoning out as we see Walter do in the movie. And that's where the movie opens. Some of the themes that we will talk about is this theme that, it opens with him on an eHarmony website. He's looking, he can't even send a wink at this girl from work, which even the eHarmony help guy, Todd is laughing at. It's like, why don't you just go talk to her? He's like, that's not how it works. But this question of, he can't wink because he's, his profile's not done. Yeah. I love, I love how the movie opens. It's even, and I, I alluded to this earlier, the, the imagery that they're using there his whole apartment or whatever he's in his house is all gray, all straight lines, all very boring. He's wearing white and gray there. His checkbook is perfectly aligned. There's no sense. If you notice his checkbook, it was all zero, zero. Everything was perfectly aligned. And, and then he gets into eHarmony and you're right. The wink doesn't even work because it's so boring. Like you haven't filled out enough of your page yet is what Todd was telling him. You know, like, no, I've, I've never even seen this happen before. He, he says, but it, and, and you see him walking and, and he's walking through the, through the streets that he lives by and everything is straight lines and gray and boring and dull and the same. And, and as he, as he moves into getting to work, you see more and more color, more and more variety come in. And the, even the painting on the floor at life is this rainbow like ribbon, you know, that, that goes through the offices and, and you see him trying to step into that. But, it, but what he is, where he is at in his life right now is just very monotonous, very boring, very even. And, 
And so I love that. And Alan, it's, it's cool that you said this was, you saw it on your birthday or near your birthday because the open, the movie opens up and it's Walter's birthday, um, <laughs> which is always symbolic of uh, transition time, right? He, he's having this new year. It's the same with like city slickers, right? Which is Mitch's birthday, um, you know, based around that, that day of his life. And, and it's Walter's birthday and you see him kind of having this, uh, what one thing that was completely remarkable to me was the the time period that the movie takes place over. And specifically that first day, like everything, I, I bet a third of the movie takes place on that first day, you know, that one day that, that happens and just how much change can occur in a, in a very short period of time. Right. And Patrick, I was watching this director's commentary on it uh, as I rewatched the movie, which I'd seen many times, but I'd never watched the commentary and in it, Ben Stiller and the, and the group are talking about how, like you just were mentioning, the straight lines, the colors, and they even talked about they would lock the camera on a shot and leave it locked for the whole scene where there was not a lot of movement and until the next camera shot. And then, you know, you compare that to later in the movie where he's skateboarding or longboarding and oh, wow. the camera's zigzagging and moving. And, and as he becomes more free the camera becomes more free, but it, it was so intentional, so beautiful the way they filmed it. And um, just to give a little thought to what you said about how they position Walter at the beginning. So here's a man working at life magazine who has no life, even you know, <laughs> the harmony guy saying, have you been anywhere? Have you done anything? And Walter's like, zoned out and, and the answer is no, not really. Um, and he works, his title is he works in the negative assets and he works in the, the kind of the bowels of the company, you know? And so he's in this shaded, dark, you know, shut down kind of area. Um, they call it like a cave and he's in this cave where very few people see what he does day to day. And um, from, from a creative standpoint, because I think all of us would call ourselves the three of us creatives of some kind. And, and you do live in your head a lot. You do see scenes play out. Your imagination runs wild. It was interesting how the movie, like the, the antagonist of the movie, if you will, um, you know, the, the, the group taking over life and shutting it down um, were very derogatory to Walter because he lived in his head. So they were flicking paper clips at him. They were, uh, especially the lead lead guy was making all these rude, uh, harsh comments. And actually, Walter was brilliant and and was amazing. But because he lived in his head, and because nobody saw or appreciated his creativity. Um, it, around him, those people around him. Um, it was like this brilliant creative that was constantly put down or diminished rather than lifted up. So in a company that was all about life, it felt like his life, his calling, his, his creativity was being diminished and hidden early on in the film. And he kind of accepted that as that's, that's just kind of like, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to find fulfillment in my real life. So I'm, I'm imagining and I'm living all these scenarios out in my head. And I thought that was a beautiful place, you know, to begin because it's kind of like a tragedy that's playing out that we as the viewer see, but nobody really around Walter understands him or embraces his creativity. And he's always apologizing for being in his head. So I just wanted to name that too, kind of as all in the first few minutes, we get to see that and feel that and empathize with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's awesome. That's a great call out. And two, like, you know, he walks into that day at work and he's walking into his office. You see the motto of life on the back, you know, of the wall there. And then who runs up to him, but his sister, who's, a stark contrast, just visually, she's got <laughs> this bright pink shirt on, her hair's all done up because she's going to audition for a role, um, you know, in a, in a play. 
as Rizzo, you know, and <laughs> tough uh, but tender. Tough but tender. And, and she's got this Clementine cake in her hand. It struck me. This is what occurred to me earlier today is her name is Odessa, like Odyssey. Like she is, she is this, uh, this picture of an adventure, uh, an epic, you know, kind of, yeah, adventure that, that he's being invited into. And he, and she hands him this Clementine cake and the Clementine cake throughout the movie represents this idea of permission. And so here is adventure offering him permission and, and it's wrapped in cellophane and he never unwraps it. He just takes it up to the counter, you know, at work and sits it there on the counter and doesn't do anything with it. And later we see the Clementine cake come out, you know, as he, as he starts to live his his life, his full life. And, and he gets by the, the warlocks, the warlords, you know, and, <laughs> and gives it to them. They're like, Oh yeah. You know, Clementine cake. And, and you see the, Sean Penn's character, Sean O'Connell, using it, you know, to to gain access and things like that. It's this idea of a permission or a key to unlock the doors of where he's trying to get. And and here's Odessa Odyssey, this adventurous one, this wild one, um, inviting him into it. And he he takes it and puts it on the counter, you know, and that's kind of where he is. And and then she's she says, "Oh, you need to go help mom. I left I left the piano on the sidewalk." You know, and he's like, "What?" You know, so he goes back to help her, and and you see his mom there, and and you find her with these boxes of all Walter, Walter's stuff that represented those dreams that he had, all packed up in boxes, all wrapped up. You know, not being used, never used. In fact, you see him flip through the journal, and it had a note from his dad, but an invitation again from his father to, to participate in an adventure, but he never used it and he never took advantage. Well, in that, that note, you know, and you see this multiple times in the movie, they, they show it multiple times, but in the front of the adventure journal, it's totally blank inside. He's never filled out a page, never, you know, tried to really go on an adventure and his father passes away and that steals life from him. But it says, have fun dad i've often thought that that represents god as father so well because he invites us into our passion our dreams our adventure and a lot of times those pages remain blank and we think god is pushing us into duty and obligation and just get things done get serious get things done for the kingdom quit quit chasing your dreams and to me, it was very symbolic that it said, have fun, dad. <clears throat> and I saw that as God's invitation to us. But unfortunately, a lot of times those pages in our own lives stay blank because we just don't understand God. We don't understand the invitation. And so we look back and we go, yeah, I don't know God in that sense. But it's not because the invitation's not there. It's because we've chosen to go a different direction and just stay in this kind of safe cocoon, uh, live in our minds and kind of take a diminished role of who we are instead of our true greatness, our true identity. I think that's the big key because as we're always, we, we always grab stuff from the movies and how does it apply in, in the spiritual world and in the way that God's called us because the Walter that we see at the beginning it looks a lot like a lot of men that I see at church and they go in in their suits and it's duty and obligation and everything's dress, right? Dress. Everything looks good. You know, how you doing, Bob? Oh, everything's great. Bless the Lord. And really they're struggling and they're in their heads. Right. And that's the promise of the gospel. And that's why, you know, the three of us are here because we've experienced that transformation you've experienced the invitation from a loving father and we've engaged in that and pursued it to become more colorful and hopefully more interesting. And definitely the boxes are filled up more every day, but that's where I see that early Walter Mitty is he's looking, but as you, you mentioned, Patrick, the, the, the father pursues him and it, whether it's through the, the daughter or through, you know, Sean Penn's photo beckoning into him later, he's being invited to an adventure. And he really just, all he has to do is give himself permission. And what it takes a lot of times 
is the end of what we think is life. You know, he goes in and they're transitioning away from the hard copy magazine to online. And again, that's what Jesus teaches is that only through the end of what we think is life can we actually find true life. You know, the um, commentary also said they when they were asked to kind of identify the theme, I forget who says this uh, in there. It's like a couple of people in conversation, but they said Walter was on a journey from dreaming to presence. And dreaming is a good thing. But when we keep our dreams in our mind and we kind of keep it all locked down tight because we don't want to risk and we don't believe we have what it takes and we are in a safe environment, you know, those dreams start to die and, or they just stay in our minds. And I loved how they said they're taking this character from a state of dreaming to a state of presence of, of being alive and active. And, and if you look at his face, like, I don't know if they really did this, but it almost seems like his eyes are a different color midway through the film. I don't know if he had contacts on in one half and not in the other, but his eyes look more vibrant, more blue, um, more alive. And uh, it was this amazing transformation is not just as he experienced the presence of others, but as he fully experienced who he was meant to be and his own presence um, and the adventure he was being called into. So I thought that was just an awesome arc to the story. Yeah. There, there's several, you know, arcs in the story that are really just really awesome to watch develop throughout the course of the movie. You know, the whole idea of death of life and, and the magazine transitioning at the beginning, they have all these huge posters on the wall of their covers and it's all colorful. And the, you know, like I mentioned the paint on the floor, very colorful, all the people dressed up and colorful. And as you see them make that transition, things move again toward gray and then straight lines and everything in the office building. Um, you, you see it when he goes to pick up his check at the end, you know, there, it's just a, institutional like white hallway you know and the the office that he goes into at the very end to return the photograph the the negative is very gray even their cover was just gray and white you know they did that they were going to print um before they got his his negative and then and that whole the kind of the juxtaposition of walter moving from from a dream state into a more present state versus the actual lived life now, you know, so you take his dreams at the beginning, the first dream that we see him have is him jumping into a building and rescuing a dog before a building explodes and fashioning a prosthetic prosthetic <laughs> leg while he did, while he ran down the stairs. It's awesome. And then, and the dreams get less and less sort of crazy wild, you know, and, but his lived life becomes more and more crazy wild until yeah. eventually they, they cross, you know, so it's, it's really cool to just watch all those things happen. You don't see him, I don't think, have any more of those dreams once he starts the adventures. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to make sure I'm, what I'm saying is accurate, but I don't think he has any of those fantasies or dreams in his mind once he goes on this adventure. He did. He had one in the back of the cab yeah. after he got called back. In the back uh, of the cab. His... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was when he was back. But I mean, when he's, when he is traveling to Iceland or Greenland or wherever, I don't think he does in those places. And get this, Paul, you made me think of this when you were talking about kind of the movement that he was having to make um, from where he was to where he is. And Patrick, you said some of the same things, but I didn't realize this till you guys were talking, but one of the things his mom saved for him and his sister and that box was Stretch Armstrong. And I thought it was a really <laughs> cool thing that the whole movie, that's what he's being required to do is stretch. Wow. Yeah. He's getting pulled and he's being stretched beyond what he thinks he's able, a person is able to be or do. And I thought it was so cool that he's carrying this thing that is he literally in the movie is being called to be stretched. That, <laughs> that little you know thing he's holding is symbolic of that. And they kept, I don't know, I didn't even notice that until like right now. And I was like, oh my gosh, that like there's so many symbolic things embedded into the movie in such cool ways. 
And then he trades it, right? Remember, he trades it for the skateboard at the end, as if to say, "I, I'm, I'm, I don't need this anymore. Like I, I have this. You I know, like I've, I, it served its purpose. <laughs> I am him now. You know, it's like it really cool. Yeah, yeah, like I'm yeah. And I'm a man. I'm giving it to a boy. Right, right. Well, and that takes us to uh, the scene Patrick wanted to talk about, where he, so that he gets a reel from this his. Buddy, uh, he's always uh, Sean, as as Patrick mentioned earlier, played by Sean Penn, this photographer who probably has done everything Walter has wanted to do, taken pictures of amazing places and amazing people, but there's the photo is missing. He says this I think is the quintessence quintessential life cover. This captures everything that Life Magazine means, but they can't find it. So he's, he goes on this journey. He feels invited into this journey and gives himself permission to go on this journey to the last known place he was, which was Greenland. I had to make sure it's like, it was Greenland, right? Cause he ends up in Iceland mm-hmm. and he's there and they say, Oh yeah, he was on a boat. You can get out there. But the, the helicopter pilot is this bar. They're singing karaoke. He's drinking a giant boot of beer. And he sits down and he's like, yeah, I can take you out there. Just let me, just let me finish my beer here. You flying out right now? I'm just going to finish my beer. The weather doesn't look so great. It's not. Looks like there's a storm moving in. Yeah. A brewing. Yeah. But you're just, you're just going to finish your beer and then buy a machine? Yeah. Okay. I'm kind of nervous about the storm. Just want to get a couple, a couple of beers down. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm not going to go with you. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. I love, I love that. It's so funny. I, I mean, it's it is a very comical part of the the movie. Um, but what I what I appreciate it about it in the sort of the arc of the story that we're, that we're talking about is here's Walter, you know, live in this, you know, very safe, very normal, very, you know, tame life. He, he answers the call of coming out on this adventure to go look for this, this negative that he's missing. And he arrives in Greenland, makes his way to a bar. Remember he asked the the guy at the airport, like, Hey, do you have any cars available? And he's like, yeah, red one, blue one. <laughs> you know, he's like, okay, I'll take the red one. And he, he makes his way to his, to this bar. And the only way to get to the ship is with this pilot who is completely, completely drunk. And it's, and so you see, like we, we talk about the, the arc of him kind of moving into presence and starting to live this life of adventure. But it, the, what I love about this part and several other ones is it's not smooth it's not easy. And there's this, there's this temptation to, to revert back to safer places, to give up, to not want to go, um, to not want to risk it. Right. And, and, but he realizes shortly after here, I think is one of the last, you know, sort of dreams he, he has, which is where Cheryl comes and plays major Tom for him and encourages him to go out and, and have this adventure and to be brave and to go into places he's uncomfortable going. And, uh, and so he, he does, he ends up doing it, but you, you hear it in this clip where he's like, yeah, I'm not going, <laughs> you know, it's like, I would be, I would be insane to get on a helicopter with you after you just drank this, Paul said it right, a boot of beer. And, and you can hear, you can hear the pilot saying, he's like agreeing with him. He's like, yeah, that's probably a smart choice. Like I'm, I'm completely wasted right now. Like it's, I'm really worried about the storm that's coming. You know, it would be crazy to go out. And he's like, yeah, I'm not going to go. And, and it's that, that hesitation, almost that, Oh, I I was there, I was making it, but there's resistance. Well, I was just going to chime in and then let you keep going. But when he, when he decides, you know, like when Walter is hesitant, understandably right because like you said they got drunk Mm -hmm. it is actually the beauty that invites him and breaks through it is his the woman he's in love with who he imagines so i guess he did have one i guess he did have that one vision while he was there but it was of his girlfriend or the woman he loved this beauty 
who woos him and encourages him to get on the helicopter. Like to me, that was telling like, because it was beauty that was inviting him into adventure. It wasn't somebody yelling at him to get his act together or just man up or, you know, um, don't be, don't be afraid, you know, just get yourself in gear and go make it happen. Like it was an invitation from beauty that actually gave him the courage. Would, would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it happens again later when he's in Iceland and he's riding the bike and, and he sees the birds kind of form into her face, you know, and again, it's, it's a very, it's a smaller, lesser dream. And I think that was probably the last real one that he had was that, that image of the birds kind of forming her face, just kind of beckoning him to keep going, keep pushing, you'll get there kind of thing. Um, and yeah, it's, it, it's awesome. One thing that came out to me in this viewing that I didn't remember before, like if, if we had talked about this movie as the three of us and I chose not to watch it again, in my mind, I thought there was one big trip that he made. I forgot that there were two trips. And so when I watched it this time, what really stood out to me is, you know, when God invites us into adventure and, and we start stepping into life, uh, everything doesn't happen in the first outing, <laughs> you know, like, like, because you watch him and it's like, well, wait a minute. He didn't do what he set out to do. Like he made this trip around the world and he's coming back because he got fired. Yep. Like, like the, the mission was not a outward success. So the first trip to me was symbolic of he stepped out, he took the invitation, he went for it. And by outward means, it would be considered a failure. He didn't meet the photographer. He didn't find the negative. He didn't accomplish his goals and he's back to get fired. So to me, that was so symbolic of, when we start following the wild goose, when we start following God and we're like, what the heck, man, like I did it. <laughs> yeah. And the end result is I traveled around the world to be a failure and I come home and I get fired. Like, how is that? How is that what you want God? And even worse for him, he took the, you know, the skateboard that he got in Iceland. He took it to give to Cheryl's son, only to discover her ex-husband there. And he imagines that they are back together. So he's lost his job. He's lost the girl, which I think the there's an important transition because he was going over there for work. Cheryl, the image of Cheryl, his imagination of Cheryl is what kept him going because she was encouraging to be, she was encouraging him to be courageous and step into the unknown. And when he goes back, he faces, he faces the mirror and he says, well, if I go back, if I keep looking for this, I'm not doing it for work. I'm not doing it for the magazine. I'm not doing it for Cheryl. I'm doing it because that's who, where I'm being invited. That's who God called me to be. And that's the motivation. His motivation becomes the, the invitation more than sort of depending on other people. That's good. Yeah. And I, and he kind of faces that during that cab ride that you that we were talking about where he has that, that one more vision, you know, as he's watching Conan, I think it was, and, yeah. and he's on there and, and Conan's interviewing him and saying, Oh, there's all this scandal and everything's falling apart, you know, kind of thing. And he asked the cab driver, he's like, Hey, can you turn this off? And, and when I heard him say that, Oh, and then the cab driver says it stays on. And, and when I heard him say that, I, I heard Walter not asking, can you turn this off? But can I turn this off? Like, can this, can I stop thinking this way? Can I stop this <laughs> mindset of everything is going to come crashing down? And the, and the cab driver's like, it stays on, you know, and, and he's kind of facing that there's going to be some resistance here. You reminded me of, of a conversation I had with my wife over the weekend where she's, we're, you know, Saturday's sort of our housework, catch up on chores and clean the house. 
and I go up to see what she's doing and she says, yeah, I'm, I've done this. I've done this. I'm getting ready to clean the kitchen. It's really gross. And at that moment I heard, and it's all your fault. She didn't say that. And I caught it for probably the first time in my life. <laughs> I was just looked, I was like, you're just saying you're going to clean it because it's gross as a statement of fact. I want to receive that as an accusation of you. If you had been working harder, if you weren't such a slob, such a mess, then I wouldn't have to pick up behind you. And that's, that's the thing is, can I turn that off? And so when you were talking about that, I was like, oh my gosh, that happens all the time. <laughs> Well, and here's the cool thing about the cab ride and that, that, you know, show he was watching those words he was hearing when he asked the cab driver, if he can turn it off and the cab driver doesn't, then Walter says, then let me out. I'm, I'm getting out right here. In other words, resist the enemy and he flees, but no resist, no flee. So he's in a setting where he's hearing condemning, or troubling, you know, accusations or thoughts, embarrassing thoughts. He's on a, he's on a national TV, you know, television interview and, and uh, he doesn't just sit with it anymore. He actually steps away from it, which to me wasn't, you know, something in his fantasy that he did, but he actually did in, in his own life. And that to me was a real sign of him saying, I don't have to continue to live in my mind. I don't have to let these thoughts stay with me. I'm not a victim. I'm not stuck. I can say I'm out of here. And that to me was a very powerful moment that mimics the power we have. You know, we don't have to keep listening to the lies of the enemy, the accusations, um, but we have to resist. Where that that tape will keep playing over and over and over again. And there's a there's a powerful scene of of that as well when he jumps out of the helicopter into the ocean carrying the radio parts and he's down there and and the ship captain it, you know there's that shark that's swimming around him and the ship captain says don't fear the porpoise and and what you hear as an American watching this movie isn't porpoise it's purpose don't fear the purpose. And, and so there's this idea that his, he is, he's being attacked. Like he has to fight for, uh, you know, this, this purpose. And, and what he sees is a shark. It ends up being a shark. He realizes, Oh, I have the, I have strength here. I can resist. I, I can push back and, and kind of uh, fulfill that, um, that part. And, and he takes that bravery and that sort of that courage that he builds over time and, and uses it, you know, to, to points where, you know, he's standing on top of the Himalayan mountains and the, the, you know, the Sherpas or whatever <laughs> they were like hitting him with sticks and stuff and saying, okay, <laughs> now we go down, you go up, we go down. And he's like, no, you come with me. And, and they're, and they're like, no, we're going down. And he's like, okay, I go up, you go down. And, and he's, and it's, it's that you can see that courage and that bravery that he's amassed through the course of the movie kind of climaxing at that point. Mm. So yeah, so we're up now. He he had gone home. He realized he lost his job, lost the girl, paid the last of his money to the piano movers. He's got the wallet that unknown to him, Sean had put the negative in the wallet and gave the wallet Walter thought as a gift. What did he need a wallet for? He had no money, he had no job, he's got no girlfriend. So he throws the wallet in the trash. And then has a conversation with his mom. He ha- he finds another clue. He's sitting there looking at this last picture. He's trying to figure out where it comes from. And the picture is of his mother's piano. And all along the way, these little breadcrumbs or puzzle pieces. And this Cheryl said this early on is a lot of times these mysteries, they get unraveled by finding, you don't have to solve all the clues at once. You solve one clue and that takes you to your next clue. And the funny thing is, Walter never finds that clue if he hadn't come home. If he hadn't been called away after being so close to finding Sean, he's sitting there looking at the piano, realizing that the picture in his hand is a picture of the piano. And that ignites his passion again and says, I can find him. I'm going to find this. Even if it 
involves going through Iran and Afghanistan. That's why the airfare is so low. It's a very hostile environment. And he gets up to the Himalayas and he finds Sean. And Sean is sitting there trying to, to capture, take a picture of the snow leopard, the ghost cat. And so I have uh, this clip because I think that, man, their conversation is just awesome. They call the snow leopard the ghost cat. It never lets itself be seen. Ghost cat. Beautiful things don't ask for attention. Sean, there was a negative that got separated from your role. I'm taking a lot of heat over it at work. It never came with the role that you sent. You're sitting on it. Why am I sitting on it? It's in your wallet. That was the gift. The photograph. The wallet was just something I could put it in, so I put it in a little slot, the little picture holder in there. I thought it'd be cute. I told you, look inside in the note. You said look inside. I thought you meant, I thought you meant look inside the wrapping paper. Yeah, you got a real nice surprise coming. No, I don't have it. I don't have it anymore. Whoa. What the hell are you thinking? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I've admired you for a very long time, but that is not a good move. At all, with a valuable negative. Sorry, I just, I, I thought it would be a playful kind of thing. Playful? Too playful. I see what you're saying. Cover, I should have been more straightforward. But can I ask you, I mean, if you don't mind, what'd you do with the wallet? Chucked it. That hurts my feelings. No, man, I liked it very much. I appreciated it very much. So you threw it away. I, I... So you have no idea what it was. The photograph. It's a shame. It was a beauty. That looks like fun. I think I'm gonna jump in. Hey, what, what was the picture, Sean? We're gonna be odd-numbered if you don't join. What was the picture? Let's just call it a ghost cat, Walter Mitty. For the sake of brevity, did have to cut where they see the, the snow leopard. And that's immediately after Sean says, Wow, oh, that hurt my feelings. You threw it away. And he sees the snow leopard and he immediately pulls Walter to look at it and doesn't actually take a picture because he says, I just like to be in the moment. I like to shoot without, I just like to enjoy it without worrying about the, the camera or my job. And then the, the snow leopard leaves and he sees the, the, the Sherpas down there playing soccer. And he's like, yeah, that looks like fun. Let's go do that. But I want to go back to the beginning and I just, I, there's this conversation. We could talk for an hour on this conversation. And if you have the chance, watch the movie. I mean, it's, it's on Hulu. So watch the movie or rent it or whatever. Go to Blockbuster because this is the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> but he's there and the, the facial expressions of Sean Penn are just exquisite. Because you see, you see he loves Walter Mitty. And he, but as a photographer, he sees people, not as they think they are, but as they really are. And that he, the ghost cat, and, and he compares, because as we'll find out, Walter is in, it's a picture of Walter doing his job. That's the final picture. And so this playful interaction is, is as you mentioned earlier, Alan, the, the following the wild goose, God is playful. Yeah, but Walter doesn't, when you're in that orphan state, meaning you, you live like it's all up to you, you don't believe in a good father, a playful father, Walter's dad in the travel journal tells him, have fun. That's a very playful invitation. His own dad and, and the Sean Penn character, the photographer is now saying, you know, Maybe I was too playful because Walter is saying, that's not a good move, man. You know, <laughs> but, but what I thought was so cool in the clip you played, Paul, is so the gift to Walter was in the wallet, right? It was in the wallet. Um, and the invitation was to look inside. Yeah. 
and Walter didn't. And that symbolically, the invitation God gives us is your longing, your desire, your heart, look inside, look inside. It's there already. It's not seen, it's hidden, but you have to look inside. You have to crack the case, solve the mystery, get the clues, look inside. And when we think of God in that way, I think a lot of us have that same reaction as Walter. It's like, well, that's not a good move, man. That's <laughs> right. Playful. And I'm serious. Like I'm serious. I, this, you know, what do I do? And we forget that God as a lover of us is very playful at times. And we get irritated by that and we throw it away. Just like Walter throws the wallet away. We go, I, I give up. I'm done. And really what we miss is it was there all along. The gift, the identity of who we are. Right. I mean, the image was of Walter. The identity, our truest identity was with us and hidden. And all we had to do was look inside with God. And, and instead, we are too busy trying to make things happen. And we lose or ignore the playfulness and the beauty and the romancing of our heart. And so that scene, it captured so, so much. But to me, that was a big part of it. Yeah. And what's, what's awesome too, you know, we, we talk about him throwing away the wallet and symbolically, you know, Sean had, had written the, the motto of life on the inside of it or, or had it engraved. And so there's this, this idea of Walter throwing away life, throwing away the, the purpose of life um, as he does that. And, and then when he recovers the wallet later, his mom gives it to him and says, oh, yeah, I, I saw you throw that away, but I got it out of the trash for you because I save all of your knickknacks. Like all of his, his idiosyncrasies, all of what made Walter Walter, all the special parts about him, his dreams that were left unfulfilled, she kept and, and returned them to him. It was never gone. It was always available. And, and he, and he, he realizes this as he gets back home and is able to recover that, that wallet. And I love, I love that scene on the mountain too, because here's Sean, you know, this, this photographer kind of representative of the Holy spirit. He has that moment with the snow leopard and, and he, and he pulls up and he's just looking at it and staring at it above the camera and never takes a shot. And, and he's teaching Walter and kind of coaching him and fathering him through this moment and, and tells him kind of this, what we've been building to this whole time, this whole arc from, from dreamer to, to being present. And he, and he says, you know, some of these, these moments, when I, when I have these moments, I just want to be in it when it's just for me, I just want to be in it. I just want to live in this moment. And it's this, and it's this picture of absolute hundred percent presence. And, and Walter gets to experience that and learn right next to this, spirit, you know, figure that, that Sean Penn's character represents. And then, and then immediately, like you said, Alan just calls him into playfulness right there too. Yeah, let's go play some soccer, you know, or whatever they're playing down there. It was awesome. And, and even think about this, the clues, you know, we were talking about the clues Walter had, the, the other negatives that he had blown up. So some of them were that we were, that the movie focused on at least the thumb with the ring, right? Um, the part of a piano, um, the water kind of with the words reflected in. I mean, if you think about it, the main ones the movie focused on are all sensory. Touch with the thumb, music, uh, beauty with the music of the piano, you know, this, this instrument of beauty. Um, the water that uh, is, has a very, you know, sensual nature to it, a very tactile, sensual nature of water. And there's words in the water reflecting on what the, you know, the helicopter kind of name is and, and the place. And, and the whole purpose of that is to bring communication to people. Um, it's, it's symbolic of communication going through the air um, with mail and with packages and, and, uh, anyway, it just, to me, the movie, even on that level was the clues that we get 
to find our deeper identity are often clues that are sound, music, texture, water, uh, beauty, you know, words. Like when we try to limit God to a sermon or, you know, well, thus says the Lord, you know, and it's a scripture verse. It's like, right. But the whole purpose of scripture is to woo you to God. The end purpose of the Bible is not the Bible. The end purpose of the Bible is to woo you as a love letter into intimacy. And all of these clues to me from the kind of the Holy Spirit figure, you know, the photographer were clues that wooed Walter uh, to an awakening that were very, you know, it's the senses, it's sensory. And so I thought that was really cool too. They weren't, in other words, it wasn't like step one, do this, (laughs) do that. Now pass the grade here. Like it wasn't what we kind of want, which are just give me the five steps and I'll get it done. Instead, there's a playful intimacy that requires us to use our senses to experience who God is so we can know who we are. And yes, we're, we're really, I'm, I'm kind of now going mythic on the movie, but I think all those things are really there when you watch the movie with eyes to see. And not all those clues are evident or, and, or pleasant because earlier in the movie, he ends up in a Papa John's in Iceland. And there's this conversation he has with Cheryl about why Papa John's. He's like, I had to get out of there because of the cups. And she's like, what? That makes no sense. And he, what it was, was that reawakened the pain of when his dad died. Like he remembered the day of the week that it was his dad died on Tuesday, Thursday. He got a haircut and got a job at Papa John's and had been losing his life for the rest of the time, losing who he was. Cause he had a Mohawk, Mr. Gray as, as, uh, who is it? Todd from, from eHarmony. He's like, I thought you were a gray piece of paper. And what a, I, I love that description of who he was at the beginning of the movie, yes. but he had to go not just through an invitation to adventure, but an invitation to remember his dad, remember the wounding, the trauma, the loss that he had when his dad died, mm. but he could reenter it with someone. He reentered it with Cheryl. And I think that we are invited to go through that. To go through, yeah, I lost that. My dad died and that hurt and I lost who I was, but it's never too late to get it back. And so he does, he keeps getting it back and he keeps going. He plays soccer with, with Sean and the Sherpas and then ends up back in the airport in LA where they question his flight itinerary and why he went there and he meets Todd and that's where he says, I thought you were a little gray piece of paper. And he said, now you look like uh, Indiana Jones decided to go be the lead singer for the strokes. He's like you. And he was pasty kind of pale. And now he's ruddy. He's got the beard. He's becoming who he was always meant to be. I had written down that line about the gray piece of paper too. He's, he, he was like, how do you see me? Or he, he goes, Oh, you're totally not how I pictured you. And he goes, yeah. really? How did you see me? It's like, I saw you as a little gray piece of paper, <laughs> and it, which was, which is, which was immediately harkened uh, back to the first scene, right? Where gray, straight lines, right. flat, you know? And, and so it was, it, it, that, that is who he was at the beginning of the movie. And now he's got this, um, you know, the colorful clothing on, like you said, he's already he's got the, the scruffy beard and, and all that. He, he looks more muscular or right. athletic or something somehow. And, um, his, his eyes are like Alan was saying, yeah, he's all his, he's wild now, you know, his hair's all messed up. He got in a fight in the, in the mag scanner thing. You know, yeah, with that's the, right. With the uh, <laughs> and, uh, he's, you know, he's like living it to the and full now. And it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and then they're, they're eating Cinnabon, you know, in the, in the airport. 
it's so cool just like looking back to all the conversations that he has with Todd from eHarmony throughout the course of the movie. There's like four or five of them that he has through the whole movie. And the the first one, you know, he's just trying to get him to name a place that he had been that was interesting or something that he had done. And and by the end, he like can't even believe that he's, you know, oh, I've got to make oxygen choices, you know. <laughs> you always think in the Himalayas. It's just like this stark contrast and now he's meeting him finally in the airport and uh and and he's Todd's able to lay eyes on him and see who he's been talking to the whole time and uh, and, 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 and they, vice they versa. feel like they knew each other like he you know Todd went up yeah. and he's like oh no what is this handshake I'm gonna give you a big I'm gonna hug the backpack <laughs> well it was almost like um Todd had to identify him right like he had yeah. to vouch for him and so it's cool that the person who thought he was a great piece of paper initially is now the one saying, yes, you are this person. This is your identity. I will vouch for your identity and your name. Like that's a really cool thing that, you know, his identity was vouched for from somebody. It wasn't just in his head anymore. It wasn't just an imaginary life. Somebody's going, I know him. That's who he is. He is that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's cool. Um, it's this cool like contrast to like this, this chiastic effect that happens through the movie as he, as he kind of um, makes this transformation because at the beginning, one of the, one of the dreams that he had was with, you know, as Cheryl's standing there, he imagines that he's this Latin lover coming out of the Andes mountains with his carrier pigeon and everything. And he's got the, you know, the big, I think it was a poetry Falcon. <laughs> poetry falcon and then later you see him in the himalayas he actually is that's exactly what he looks like you know like he's actually living that life that he dreamed at that point wow and so he delivers he gets back and he delivers the negative he goes into work where he used to work and there's a big meeting there and he turns in and, and what i think is he becomes this is where he really steps into his identity oh hey Welcome. Wait, I'm sorry. Not welcome. Not an employee. Sorry. There's a picture Sean wanted. 25. You have two days to print for cover. Here's your quintessence. Hey. Do you know our motto? Life. I'm loving it. That's no. That's, that's McDonald's. This thing that you do... Ted, where you come into a place and you push people out. You should know that those people worked really hard to build this magazine. They believed in the motto. And I get it, you got your marching orders and you have to do what you have to do. But you don't have to be such a dick. Put that on a plaque and hang it at your next job. So he was finally able to not just do the things that he'd always dreamed of doing, but say the things that he'd always dreamed of saying and stand up for injustice. And he wasn't just standing up for, he wasn't really even standing up and defending himself. He was defending the people that he worked with. You know, he, he brought them all. He cared more about uh, rich Cheryl's son. He, he brought, you know, him a skateboard back from Iceland and he cared about his mom and his sister and he becomes a man who, I love the the line when, when Sean said, you know, there's like, what's the picture, Sean? He's like, it's a ghost cat, Walter Mitty. Because he was calling Walter the ghost cat. He's like, nobody's seen it. It only comes out. Uh, beautiful things don't attract attention. Mm-hmm. And Walter was becoming the, the snow leopard, the ghost cat. Yeah. Yeah, and... He goes in, you know, after that to pick up his last check and find Cheryl walking down the stairs, chases her out. And, um, and then they, you know, they're kind of walking out together and he's kind of exploring that last step of bravery that he wanted to take, which was to ask her out. Right. And, um, and they walk by the, the newsstand and realize that the, that the, um, the magazine had printed it's two days later. And, and again, like looking back through the whole movie, I think, I think a total of maybe two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks had passed. Cause I think in one of the very first scenes they go, we're going to print the last, co- the last issue of, of life magazine in two and a half weeks or something. So this is a very short period of time that all this has happened. And, and they're standing there at the newsstand. They finally see the, the, the last picture. And in the scene where he goes and talks to Ted, 
on the board behind him, they have like what they're going to print. Like this is going to be their cover. And they have a, like a mind map on one side and it says <laughs> no photo available, like nothing. <laughs> we have nothing. And then they have a, they have sort of a, a board with the life logo on it. Like this is what's going to be our magazine. And it just says in big, big bold letters, the end of life. <laughs> and, and, like that was their idea. And then, and then now they have the, the photograph, they, they go to print, you know, Walter sees it. It's a picture of him and, and the title on the, on the front of the magazine says, you know, like the, the people that made it happen or, or something like that. And you realize that the quintessence of life are the people that make it happen. And Walter is the, the picture of, of that thing. And, and it, that was just really special to me because I think God says the same thing. Like what is, what is life? What is, what makes life so special? Well, it's the, the people that, that were around, the people that make it happen. You know, the people that are close to us, your friends and your family and, you know, everybody that you come in contact with and touch. And that's what Jesus implored us to do, right? Was to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love other people as ourselves. I mean, that's, that is it. That's the, that's the, that's the commission. You know, that's our marching orders. And it, it was really cool that, that this last issue of, of life, um, kind of the last command <laughs> um, that the life was offering was, hey, here it's about the people, and and that that was really cool. Well, and while the issue showed Walter right kind of by himself doing his job, um, what I loved is the last scene of the movie isn't a scene of just Walter; it's a right. scene of him and Cheryl together. And so while his identity was named or seen, that didn't stop with just him. So when we find out who we are at our core, our truest essence, it never stops with just us. It's not an ego-driven, self-inflating thing, story about just us, right? But it's us and others, it's together together with God, together with other people. And I love how the movie ended with the two of them. And at the end, you know, like the other cool thing is he doesn't work for life anymore. He has life. He doesn't have to work for life. He has life. And so again, that, that invitation into playfulness and joy, we don't have to strive and force and control life to make it happen. We can just have it and experience it and step into it when we do it with God and with others. So, I mean, the movie just bow ties it so incredibly well. And it just occurred to me while you were talking that they, you know, they, he grabs her hand and where are they going? They're going to see Odessa. They're going to see adventure and, and wilderness and, and, you know, this odyssey uh, that, that I think that she's uh, symbolic of. And, and so here we are, we're going together now into, into this adventure and, and it's going to be at a church. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Well, and I think it's remarkable. We've gone this, this whole time talking about the, the quote, the, the motto, the motto of life. And we actually haven't said what it was and what it is and what was on his wallet and on the walls of, of the, the business, the offices is to see the world, things dangerous to come to, to see behind walls, draw closer, to find each other, and to feel. That is the purpose of life. And that's what we're called to do, to see the world. We're supposed to see the world and people, as you guys both mentioned, through the Father's eyes. We're supposed to see them with the eyes of the Father who loves them and who sent Jesus to to transform the world. Things dangerous. Yeah, this life in this world, we will have troubles. I think we say that every podcast, (laughs) but we take heart because the world to see behind walls, the world isn't what we think it is. It isn't what we see. We know that there's a real realm behind the world, the physical world that we see, but we're supposed to draw closer in union to God and to each other and to feel like feel. You know, that you talk about the fruits of the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience. These are fruit and they're feelings. And that is the purpose of life, of Jesus, who is the life. Well, and when he 
you talk about other people, right? And, and just this purpose of, of being fully alive and engaging. And Walter did not really go into that at first, you know, like freely. Like one of the most fun scenes to me in the movie is when he's flying to Greenland is the first place, right? Yeah. So when he's flying to Greenland, uh, he's on a plane and it's just him and one other guy and their seats are together. Like, you know, you've got this whole plane <laughs> and it's like God just intervened and it's like, no, you're not going to check out and you're not going to just be in your own world. You're going to sit by this guy and, um, you know, they get off and they, it's kind of comical what happens, but, but it also is an example of Walter being drawn into community, into the presence of others, into a larger story and a larger story can never just be about us. Right. I mean, you think about it through the movie, he's, he sings karaoke with the helicopter pilot and then flies off. And then a guy takes him under his wing on the boat and hooks him up with food and the, the cake. And then somebody rescues him from the volcano and over and over people are there. And even Hernando, as they were going down the elevator, they're like, Walter, you are a really good boss. And you're, it's all about the people. And, and because we, it's not just about us. It's as we talked about with, with the neat podcast, we've been given this spirit to share with other people. <laughs> so that's been the men at the movies podcast with uh, Paul McDonald, Alan Arnold and Patrick Crehan. Uh, Alan, it was, it was very special having you on here to talk about both yours and Patrick's favorite movie. It, it may be close to mine. It's definitely top five. Um, it's, it's a special movie. So thank you very much for being here. Oh man, it was an honor. And, and Patrick and I are going to keep working on you until it is your favorite movie. So that's right. <laughs> um, it's going to happen, Paul. It's going to happen. I just need to watch it about 10 more times. I think <laughs> maybe the director's cut. Cause that sounded amazing. So we thank the, thank you guys for joining us. And I hope that uh, you join us next time here on the men at the movies podcast. Something inside has been awakened. I can no longer be who I was before. But if I am no longer who I was, who am I to be? Yeah.